Between the kids being home and hosting, everything in our house gets used up in summer. With Instacart, I can save money by stocking up on all my favorite summer brands. I save time by getting everything delivered in as fast as an hour. And I save myself a sink full of dirty dishes by stocking up on paper plates for the annual summer cookout. Save more on summer essentials? Spend more time enjoying summer. Add summer to cart. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Saturday uh, in Ann Arbor, but before we get into uh, the Wolverines, Rod, um, we got a commitment for the twenty-three class. Jeremy Fears, what what are you hearing on this? Yeah, a, a big get. Uh, Fears is a, a consensus top fifty guy nationally in this class. Six foot, six foot one point guard, solidly built, very good athlete, very quick. Uh, he's played a ton of high-level basketball. He plays at a, a Lumiere. Um, he's played for the last two years for them. Uh, the good news for Michigan State fans is, and this was the case today, actually, before he committed, his team played on ESPN, and I'm positive it won't be the last time mm-hmm. we see that. So the good news is you'll be able to get firsthand looks at him Um I would assume probably at least two or three more times this year, maybe more uh, with the amount of prep school games that are televised. First, first the Lumiere guy that um, Michigan state's landed since Jaron Jackson. Yeah. And they've recruited a lot. If you think about it for a while, they were recruiting tiger Campbell. And then eventually that went away when they signed foster lawyer, they, they weren't recruiting him anymore. Uh, but they went hard at Keon Brooks. They went hard at, um, Isaiah Stewart, you know, there've been a number of guys over the years at that program who Michigan state has been involved with, uh, since Jaron, uh, committed in 2002 as a member of the 2017 class. Uh, but they finally land another one. Uh, his final three were Michigan state, Michigan, and Illinois. And I think most people felt it came down to Michigan state and Illinois. Mm. Uh, some interesting stuff which i i i do want to deal with uh that's come from out of the illini fan base on this one fears is an illinois native he's from joliet joliet illinois Mm -hmm. uh, outside of chicago and i've seen in recent days illinois fans claiming that the reason he's ending up in michigan state is that the illini backed off and i've seen two supposed reasons for this one is that the Illinois staff decided that he couldn't shoot well enough I think it's universally acknowledged that jump shooting is an area where fears needs to improve but if you watched him play today you saw him hit uh, some jumpers I, I think it's far but we're not we're not talking about a Tom Tom Nairn scenario yeah this is a kid who I, I think He's got work to do there, but Michigan State has proven over the years, this staff, they can get guys to move up a level as a shooter. If you came in as a good one, they can make you great. You come in as a middling one, they can make you good. I would expect that the odds are pretty decent that over time Jeremy Fears will improve as a shooter. But the thing that I find hilarious about it is 
this is the same program, correct me if I'm wrong, that that has Andre Corbello as their supposed <laughs> all-world point guard, right? Yeah. Have I got that right? Yeah, guard you, you're talking about guard you, right? I know guard you, and, and I think he still plays for him. I know he hasn't been playing recently, but he was the guy that a lot of their fan base and even their coaching staff was proclaiming was the best guard in America, right? I think so. <laughs> and last time I checked, he hadn't been able to get north of 20% from three mm-hmm. that's two oh so come on with this nonsense <laughs> are, you, are you fucking kidding me <laughs> so let's dispense with that the even that was hilarious enough the even funnier one though was i actually read that there were illinois fans claiming that illinois and michigan for good for good measure they got tossed in there wouldn't commit to fears getting the kind of playing time that he wanted to. In other words, they wouldn't make promises. Oh, Tom Izzo, (laughs) Tom Izzo's going out making playing time promises. Really? That that's where we're at in trying to answer why a decision got made. Look, I, I think the bottom line here is that a decision got made for, for whatever reason. And there, I'm sure there were a variety of reasons. The same as, you know, we could talk about Ty Rogers picking Illinois over Michigan State and putting that largely down to the fact that his AAU program had a strong connection with a guy who joined Illinois' recruit, uh, coaching staff this year. Mm. You know, there's, it happens. I, but this is the only time I'm going to get into this nonsense. <laughs> uh, the fact is, Jeremy Fear is a very highly regarded player. Um, has proven it against high-level competition. I, I didn't finish. We obviously know La Lumiere in, in prep uh, prep school action, but he's also played for Brad Beal Elite, which is oh, a, yeah. a highly regarded EYBL program out of, uh, out of Missouri. Um, and, uh, and so this is a guy who's done it. And, and I think you have to feel very, very good about what he is going to be as a player. Uh, the areas that he checks out most strongly in, uh, I mentioned the quickness. He's, he's not a tall player at six feet, but he's a strong kid. And he's, he, he gets talked about at times as sort of a throwback, which means he's not a score first guy. Uh-huh. He's a high level playmaker looks the the bits that I've seen of him, great court vision, a uh, willing passer, a capable passer. Uh, I, I think you you see, this isn't to put too much on him, but kind of the way in, in similar fashion to what we've seen from 2022 recruit Trayvon Holloman, uh, there's a little bit of Cassius Winston to him. That mm-hmm. I don't mean he's going to be the same player, but there's some there's some similarities in terms of the way he sees the court um, that he can make others around him better. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are all all things that I see some base level similarities. Fears is a very good athlete though. That's one that's one difference. He's whereas Cassius was about guile and his IQ kind of shortening the game for him to overcome sort of middling athleticism. Uh-huh. Uh, Jeremy fears is a guy who can blow by people. Mm. So he does it a little differently, but this is a very sound basketball player. There's also, I think, and this is another thing I like a great deal, some real potential as a defensive player. 
when you look at some of the guys, the, this young group that Michigan State is putting together in its backcourt, um, we've already seen what Jaden Akins is. Yeah. As a, as a guy who can just get out and check people. I think we're going to see it with Holloman when he gets here next year. I, I am very confident that he's a guy who is from day one going to be able to come out and guard people. The nice thing about both of those guys is they're both versatile. Mm. They're like about six, three ish, but they can guard bigger people. We've seen Jaden do it. I think we'll see Holloman do it next year. Fears not as versatile because he's only six feet tall, but he's got bulldog in him and he has the kind of athleticism and strength that I think is going to translate into his being a very good defensive player mm. and a guy who can apply some ball pressure, you know, that you put this group together. And I think, I think what we may, what we may see Michigan state do is evolve just a little bit. They're never going to get away from basic Tom Izzo principles. It's never going to be a gambling defense, any of that nonsense. But I do think as we've seen a little bit this year, we saw it last night against Nebraska, right? How mm. much, was Michigan State getting into the passing lanes yeah, they're and forcing hands, turnovers, yeah. right? They're never going to be under Tom Izzo, a team that's up at the top of the turnover-creating charts. But I think there can be, when you have the right kind of personnel, there can be a little bit of an evolution. And this group that's that's kind of coming together, I can see two years from now, Michigan State being a team that is maybe a little more aggressive out top. Mm-hmm with these guys because I think they have the capability of being able to do that and not been made, not be made to pay for it, not be gambling, you know, yeah. and fear fears can be part of that. What you, what you need to see development with is his deep shooting. I think he's actually shown from what I've seen, he's shown that he's got a nice little floater game already. He's got real potential as a guy who can go off the dribble and get to the rim and finish uh, which you like, it's the it's the deep shooting that's going to need to come along. But that's that's never a disqualifier at Michigan State. If you can do some of these other things as a point guard, if you can guard people and you can get Michigan State into transition and you can run that offense in the half court efficiently, Tom Izzo will live with some you know developing jump shooting. Uh-huh. So I, it's a big get, and I think it it sets Michigan State up very well in that class because now you've got your, your point guard and, and again, you look at what they're piling up, you know, you <laughs> yeah. have pot- potentially for that year. Now, theoretically Tyson Walker could be around that year as well because it was, a, he has a COVID year to bank on. Uh-huh. He could play that year. I, I'm going to assume that doesn't happen. I'm going to assume this year, next year is it for him, but it's theoretically possible. AJ Hogard could be a senior on that team though. Um, Jaden Akins, who I think, I think this commitment probably puts the nail in the coffin of Jaden ever being a full-time point guard at Michigan state, Mm -hmm. but he's obviously capable of playing some on the ball. And I think we will see him do more of that as time goes on. Just, it won't be exclusively so, uh, Uh, but you have Jaden Akins who would be what he'd be a junior on that team. Uh, Holloman would be a sophomore and fears would be a freshman. That's a lot of guys who can handle. And I think you see Michigan state, which they've done. The program has done this before. I always go back to, you know, people think this is a recent invention. They had 
you know, they had a team in, in 2008, 2009 with Kalen Lucas and Corey Lucius yeah. on the same team who played together some. Mm. Um, so it's not new, but I, I do think it's pretty clear. And maybe you can say it's a reaction to what happened last year that Tom Izzo has decided <laughs> I'm never getting caught short again uh-huh. at that spot. I want multiple guys who I can, I can trust to initiate offense, to run our stuff and, and do so efficiently. And, and boy, they're really piling it up. Mm-hmm. You've got a lot of guys now, you know, um, who have that would seem to have that capability. So, uh, exciting stuff. Yeah. Uh, okay. So we, I guess we get into Michigan. Um, boy, we're at seven and six overall one and two in the conference after a a road loss to Rutgers, um, fairly comprehensive one. Yeah, um, they were never really in that game. Geez, I mean, I it, mean... It, it wasn't a blowout, but it just it just never felt, just never felt to me. I watched the whole thing. Never felt to me like Michigan was going to make a run. Rutgers was, was hot from three right out of the gate, and Michigan just never got into it. And, and I think that was – that was definitely the sense of it in that game and that they were never really going to threaten to win. Mm-hmm. They also got a, a 10 point home loss against Minnesota, yep. um, which is a little bit shocking as uh, central Florida, 14 point loss. Uh, what is going on with these guys this year? Um, they're not very good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that sounds, that sounds simple, but, it, can you really come to any other conclusion after watching them? And I've seen a lot of their, I mean, I always do. I think a lot of Michigan state fans do, mm-hmm. you know, just like a lot of their fans watch a lot of Michigan state. I've seen a lot of, of their games this year and I, they're not, they're not a good team right now. Now you can say, well, there's a lot of talent there. Okay. There probably is. There's a lot of talent theoretically on Michigan state's team last year. Mm-hmm. And, and look at what happened. You know, quote-unquote talent doesn't mean that much. I think the biggest difference between this year and last year with Michigan is last year, everybody they added, all of them, the, the two transfers uh, and Dickinson as the freshman who played a lot, you know, so the two transfers being Mike Smith and Chaundy Brown. Yeah. All of those guys fit seamlessly. It wasn't just about how good, quote-unquote, they are. It's how did they fit into what Michigan wanted to do. And at both ends, there's a a really good poster on the Spartan Mag board, uh, Rook, who has used the same line repeatedly, and I've I've shamelessly cribbed it because I think it describes it perfectly. Uh, Juwan Howard drew a straight flush last (laughs) year. He really did. And, And I think people somehow leap to the conclusion, well, this guy knows something other people don't, mm-hmm. right? I give them credit. They evaluated the two transfers that they brought in. They recruited Dickinson hard, and those guys all worked out. Okay, great. Give him credit. But it's another story to take it from that to this guy has the secret sauce, and he understands. By the way, it, it's just to make sure I'm being honest, it's going to be the same thing to an extent with Mel Tucker in Michigan state football. Yeah. You know, you can't, I, I have a lot of faith 
in Mel Tucker, his ability to evaluate talent. But year to year, it's just it's no different than recruiting high school kids in the sense that you can make the best educated guess as to what they're going to be. But until they actually line up and, and play, you don't know for sure. There's so many variables that come into it. I think what's happened this year is you've seen it isn't that simple. They added, you know, they added a, a, a transfer at point guard spot. They added a recruiting class that, you know, was was ranked until very late in the process, uh, number one in the country. But I, I know I said it on this podcast that was misleading uh-huh. because it, <laughs> it one they had a bunch of players. They had a lot of guys who were part of that. So that can distort it a little bit mm-hmm. when it's added up over a six man class, as opposed to a two or three man class. The other thing was a number of a top 10 player in one year doesn't necessarily equate to what a top 10 player would be in another year. And yeah. we've seen that with their guys, right? So I think that all of those things have kind of come to pass. It just, it's not easy to reinvent yourself. And, and the fact is, it was, um, I think, undersold, to say the least, what the impact of replacing 60% of the starting lineup was going to be. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what we've seen. And not only has it been replacing those guys with guys who haven't been as good, but the two returning players haven't been as good as they were last year because they've been in different roles. They're playing off different guys, and it's – you know, it's an adjustment. So I think that Michigan's been worse in pretty much every respect than they were last year. Mm-hmm. It's as simply put, that's how it is. They're worse offensively. They're worse defensively. And somehow they're 27th in Ken Palm still. Um, although well, it is starting to fall now, um, especially two after things, this last loss. Two things there. One, let's not forget. The one I'm a I'm a believer in Cam Pomeroy's stuff. I get the it's they're they're really nice. Those ratings are really nice tools to be able to compare and contrast teams. And if you pay attention to it, you will often see a reasonably strong correlation between what Ken Palm will tell you about a given game and what the Vegas point spreads are. Uh-huh. So he's on to something, but part of the problem can be in some circumstances, he has, he doesn't start with a clean slate and everybody's even, you know, which I understand you can't do that, but what goes into his preseason ratings is sort of a black box. He's, I have not found him to be particularly transparent about that. And the general rule of thumb is the effect of that can hang around for a while, really in the right about where we are now, end of yeah. December, beginning of January, before it really begins to sort out. I think there's some of that going on with Michigan. The other thing is Michigan, most of its losses have been reasonably competitive and they haven't had I don't think they've had, to be fair to them, I don't think they've had any out-and-out disaster losses. You know, the teams they've lost to, like even UCF, I 
think UCF is a, I know they're a top 100. Team. Yeah. They're they like 47, I think. Yeah. So top 50, um, you know, Rutgers is the worst loss I think they've had actually. Um, Minnesota, I think is in, in the top 50 somewhere in there. Seton hall, I know was, um, North Carolina, you know, none of the, none of the teams they've lost to are anywhere near like where Michigan state's losses are. Mm-hmm. They have they haven't played top ten teams yet, but um, until you know until Saturday, yeah. but uh, but they haven't had those bad losses, and they mostly Carolina being an exception, they haven't gotten run out of the gym typically. Mm-hmm. You know, they lost by eight, ten, whatever. They uh, conversely, they have had some big blowout wins. They ripped the hell out of Nebraska. Yeah, back about a month ago. Um, they've had some others and, and that will play into Ken Palm a little bit as well. So I think it's a combination of those two things. Mm. Uh, so it's 22nd on offense and 50th on defense. Um, the offense, the biggest strength is, uh, shooting from two. They're 59 in, uh, that category, uh, and they're mediocre in turnovers percentage at 138. Three pointers are 34%, which is 136 in the country. Uh, and they're 97th in offensive rebounding. Yeah, that, that three-point number actually was shocking to me, mostly because it's better than I suspected. Just from watching them and not having really dialed into where they were statistically, I would have thought it was a little worse than that. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're, they're okay. But that that's really the story. Their offense, there's not a, there aren't a lot of out-and-out disasters, but there also aren't great, strengths there's nothing you know there's a (laughs) the truth of the matter is and other people have said this as well it's not original to me it's like what do they do really well what's their identity what do they hang their hats on i i don't know what it is Mm -hmm. there isn't anything you know i mean michigan state you know we know what they are transition play on offense and three-point shooting that's what you hang your hats on with this team. And then the other weaknesses too, but they have real true identifiable strengths. I don't know what Michigan's strength is outside. Okay. Two point shooting, which is in large part Dickinson. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The free throw shooting has been a problem for them. 249 yep. in the country, 68% as a team. Yep. Yep. Doesn't help. Uh, so you know, on defense, it's kind of strange as well. They're, the three-point percentage is good, um, though it's been pretty bad lately. Um, yeah, that's another one that really surprised me. And again, I think it gets skewed because they've had some games where teams have just been awful against them. But then you look at some of these losses. The UCF game, they just got, I mean, torched, <laughs> torched. Um, and Rutgers, they got torched. So it's hard for me to take Michigan seriously as some kind of great. And they, and they also give up a fair amount of attempts too. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it's hard for me to take them seriously as a great three point defense team. You know, I don't think they are. Uh, And the two point, the uh, two point percentage has been terrible at one twenty one. Yeah. And that's, you know, we know that's tends to be a more sustainable number. Um, Look, last year's team, was really, really good defensively. And part of the reason it was good defensively is they could take away a lot of that stuff. You know, coming into last season, I wondered about Dickinson 
as a defensive player because I had seen him some in AAU and I, I thought he would be a good player eventually, but I thought he would have more of a difficulty with the immediate transition, mostly because I, I couldn't imagine him being all that successful as a pick and roll defender. And that's such a huge part of what it means to be a five these days. Mm-hmm. Well, he was a little better than I thought, but it also helped him that he had a lot of help. I mean, Franz Wagner really took care of a lot. Chaundy Brown was a really good wing defender off their bench. Yeah, he was. Isaiah Livers was very much improved to the point that I think finally he ended up as kind of a plus defender. Smith was pretty damn good. And Eli Brooks was at times a lockdown quality defender. So he had a lot of help around him. And those guys, I think, all functioned so well as a unit to really take away a lot of what opposing offenses were able to do inside the arc. They don't have that this year. I mean, it's that they're weak defensively at the point. Um, Brooks is still a pretty good defender, but at the other wing, they've got Houston who was a sieve. It was just awful at the four. You've got Diabate who can occasionally make a play due to his length, but he's really spotty. I don't that consequently because of all this around him, I don't think Dickinson is as good as he was. Mm. So it, it's showing up that that defense against twos is just not good. And, you know, that may or may not be an issue for them in this game because two point shooting has not been Michigan State's strength. But I think over the long haul, it's it's a problem for Michigan for sure. Yeah. Uh, on the boards defensively, just OK, 62 in the country. Yeah. Um, and they don't force turnovers almost at all, which is good for Michigan state (laughs) 344 turnover percentage. Yeah. You're, you're, you take that over the alternative right now. That's (laughs) for sure. Of course, we've seen, you don't have to be a turnover forcing team for Michigan state to have problems, but yeah, I'll, I'll take my chances with this. Yeah. They're just not, again, I look, I look at the team and I say, what do they do? Well, Yeah. What what do you hang your hat on? I don't know what it is. Uh yeah, and they're fairly slow paced, two oh two in the offensive yeah. tempo. Um, so they're not gonna yep. they don't use the bench much, two hundred and ninety eight. Yeah. It's I if I if I were a Michigan fan, I'd be I'd be struggling with this because I just there's nothing there's nothing fun about this team. They're not entertaining. They're not particularly good. I mean, it's, <laughs> you add a lot of stuff. I mean, look, I'm going to take every opportunity to bag on that program. That's, that's <laughs> a but this is the truth, man. Yeah. I I was very, very capable and willing to admit, um, you know, last year that uh, this was a good basketball team, a team that, that seemed to find a way to play together mm-hmm. in a way that was very, very effective. This team, it's the polar opposite of that. They don't play efficiently or particularly well as a group. And and then you start talking about individual ability and there's some, but there's, there's not enough to overcome that, you know, mm-hmm. where last year's team maybe was greater than the the sum of its individual parts 
this team might be less. Uh-huh. Yeah, that, that makes sense to me too. Uh, and then, so the big question also is their availability. Um, they yeah. had four reserves out against Rutgers. We expect everyone to be back for this one. I don't know. You know, they're, they're, they're not being particularly transparent about this stuff. You know, with Michigan state, when, when they had their issue, um, uh, about a week or so ago, Izzo had, had made the pronouncement that, yeah, these two guys are going to miss the high point game, but we think we'll have them back for Northwestern. So you kind of had it in mind that, that, they understood where they were on the timeline and had a reasonable idea mm-hmm. of, of when these guys were going to be due back. Um, we didn't get any of that from Michigan and they played their game. What was their game Monday night or Tuesday night? I believe against it was Rutgers. Tuesday. Was it Tuesday? Okay. I can't remember. So by Saturday, you would think, Assuming that, you know, symptoms, if there were any, have resolved and all that, that at least some, if not all of these four guys, and the four guys we're talking about were all reserves. Um, it was, uh, well, check that, three of them. Because the fourth, Zeb Jackson, um, was out for non-COVID reasons. God knows what's going on with him. Mm-hmm. But the three guys who were COVID-related, which was Brandon Johns, Terrence Williams, both backup forwards, and um, their their freshman point guard Frankie Collins, you would think it would be possible for those guys to be back, um, but we don't know. And you know the other thing too is you don't know our other guys going to come down. And this was I think we talked about this in our our post game yesterday, uh, post Nebraska. That I understand the feelings. A lot of Michigan State fans have just, I think, been assuming for and waiting for Michigan to announce that they're pulling out of this game due to COVID. But it's not 2020 or early 2021. It is not as simple as a program just waving its hands and saying COVID and that's it. You you have to present some data to the conference. Because the conference still, theoretically at least, as I understand the rules, has the ability to declare a forfeit. They've said they, they won't do that if there's valid uh, information offered mm-hmm. to suggest that it was out of your control. But they could. And so Michigan can't just, you know, as I say, wave their hands and say COVID. They got to actually present something. And beyond that, um, I think you've also got a, a, a legitimate open question as to what would constitute a severe enough situation to justify a postponement or a cancellation. Again, my understanding is if you have at least seven players, that's the minimum you have to have in order to be able to play. Now, they could, I suppose, always attempt to, you know, they could ha- hit that number and yet not have that, you know, still claim that they can't play. Mm-hmm. Uh, but look, we're recording this Thursday night. It's after, I don't know, it's about 8.15, 8.30. Um, there's been no announcement yet. Could one come between now and Saturday afternoon? Yeah, but I tend to think that, let's put it this way. If we get to this time tomorrow and there's nothing, there's going to be a game. Uh-huh. So right now, I'm assuming there's going to be a game. 
it, it seems like the league is the ones responsible for rescheduling. So, yes. it, so at least they will have some, uh, I guess, objective views on if they have, yeah. if it's going to be a really competitive disadvantage for one team or the other to reschedule when they could, then maybe and you have to go for a forfeit. Yeah, but but look, I think that um, <laughs> I understand why people are inherently suspicious, and it's not crazy. You look at the way Michigan's football program handled last season, where they bailed out of the Ohio State and Iowa games, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in basketball, as we talked about last night, very controversial. You know, it ended up giving them the outright title, and Illinois was furious about it, and I understand it. So I, I don't think people that are suspicious of Michigan's intentions are crazy, but there's there's some things here that you need to probably keep in mind that I don't think everybody is. One is what I already mentioned, that it's not solely within their hands. Mm-hmm. The other thing is this. Michigan's in real trouble, okay? Their resume is awful right now. If, if the idea is get to the tournament, which at this stage, for, for all we're talking about, they're one and two in the league. What does that mean? One of the things it means is they've got 17 games left in the league. That's mm-hmm. a lot of opportunities, right? But <laughs> the thing you got to remember is the Big Ten is not quite as deep as it was last year. Still pretty good at the top, but it's not where it was last year. So the opportunities that you have to play profile-enhancing games that are going to move your metrics and improve your resume are fewer. Mm -hmm. What games do they have on tap? Well, they got Michigan State, they got Purdue, they got Illinois, their next three. On the one hand, if you're cynical, you could say, oh, they don't want to play any of those teams because they're likely to lose. My response is they've almost got to play those games because if they don't play those games, they don't have an opportunity to get wins that they desperately need. Yeah. So how does it play to their advantage? Unless unless you believe that they've already conceded internally to the idea that they can't win, that they can't be a tournament team, and so now it's just about minimizing the embarrassment. I don't believe that for a second. I think worse of them than any other program in the country, and I can't get there. Mm-hmm. You know? Not yet. They, <laughs> Not I yet. still believe that if you put Juwan Howard on a, on a polygraph and asked him, do you think this team can get to the tournament, he would say yes. I think almost any coach would say yes. At this mm. stage of the season, for sure. You They're all going to believe that they're one – you know, the one good practice, the one big win away from turning it around. But you got to play those games to give yourself a chance to turn it around. It's getting some wins over Penn State and Nebraska and, you know, Rutgers, or well, they can't be Rutgers, but, you know, whoever else, that's not enough. Mm-hmm. That is not going to be enough because their non-conference was terrible. Every chance they had for a meaningful win, they lost. Yeah. Every single one. So I think their best non-conference win might be, I'm trying to think who they beat. Buffalo, maybe? UNLV? I mean, those just aren't, they're not going to move the needle. 
So they've got to get quality wins. Michigan State got into the tournament last year at 9-11. Why? Primarily because they had those wins against Illinois and against Ohio State and against Michigan. That's why. Yeah. you got to play those games. So I don't buy this stuff. Doesn't mean that we between now and then we don't have a postponement or cancellation. Anything's possible. But I tend to think if it happens, it will be legitimate. Hmm. I don't think Michigan's looking to take a dive here because I just don't see how that helps. Yeah. Uh, but so, I also, before we go on, I don't. Yeah. I want to say one more time. I don't blame any Michigan State people for thinking less of Michigan than even I do, which is scarcely conceivable to me, but I guess it's true. I don't blame you mm. if you think differently than I do. I get it. We know who they are, and and it, you, you're within your rights, and I can't say that you're wrong for assuming the worst about them, mm. but I just don't see in, in trying to step away from it and looking at it objectively, I don't see how it helps them to do that. That's why I don't think it'll happen, unless it's forced, unless it's real. Yeah. And they've just got too many people sick. Yeah. Uh, so we look at their starters, Rod. Uh, Devontae Jones, 6'1", 200-pound senior transfer from Coastal Carolina. Um, he was supposed to be the guy that solved the point guard problem when Mike Jones left. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. He's averaging 7.5 points a game, 46 from the floor, 46 from three, sixty-two from the line. Um, Two-to-one assists to turnover ratio, 50-to-24 uh, but there's there's some problems here with him, too. Those numbers sound good. Yeah. Trust me. Watch this team play, and you understand why it, they don't mean much. I think that, you know, his three-point shooting, it statistically looks very good, but he's not a high enough volume shooter for it to matter very much. Mm. He's basically not been very different in that respect than Tyson Walker's been. Scored a little bit more, but not much. Um, I I just, I, 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 I think the bottom line is this. It's a very simple thing. He's not a point guard. He was mm. sold as a point guard. And, and look, there were reasons to be optimistic. He'd been very, very good at Coastal Carolina. He was part of the draft combine, and from what I saw, he had some good evaluations from NBA people. I can't believe it now, having seen him play, Mm -hmm. but he did. And so there was reason for them to be optimistic, but this experience goes to show you that it is a difficult thing to get right. I think he's an adequate player if he was off the ball you know he doesn't he's not a high volume shooter but he's been reasonably efficient Mm. enough that you could say okay this guy doesn't hurt you but he's just not a playmaker i mean he's got 50 assists on the season in 13 games that's not really and that's in heavy minutes yeah that's not really a lot of dynamism you know he doesn't even remotely compare in that respect, to the guys Michigan State puts out there, Walker or Hogard. Mm. He's not remotely in their league as a playmaker. He's also been middling to poor, depending upon the game and the sequence, defensively. 
So what are you talking about with, with Devontae Jones? What you're talking about primarily is you're talking about a guy who's been an okay shooter in limited volume. Mm-hmm. That doesn't solve your issues. <laughs> and that's, and that's, I think, been the biggest problem for Michigan offensively. And there are a few of them. But to me, the biggest problem is they just haven't had adequate point guard play at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you got uh, Eli Brooks, 6'2 senior. Uh, he decided to take a COVID year, uh, come back. Um, really effective for them last year. This year he's... 12.9 points a game, 43 from the floor, 37 from three, 89 from the line. Um, the three points uh, percentage is down a little bit from last year, but he's he's not having a bad season. You know, you look at the numbers and you have to say, you know, that's that's not bad. 37% shooting from three, 13 points a game. He's still a pretty good defender, although I would argue he has not been as good this year probably got something to do with the guys around him. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think what this is evidence of as much as anything is the fact that it's not an automatic that when you bump up your spot in the queue improves because other guys left and now, well, you're not the number five option. You're the number two option it doesn't mean that that's going to go seamlessly. Mm-hmm. Some guys are able to do it. You know, we've seen it at Michigan state this year where Gabe Brown has moved and made real progress, right? Yeah. He's gone from being the number five guy on the scouting report to the number one or the number two guy. And he's thriving. And that happens. It doesn't happen everywhere. And it doesn't happen seamlessly. And I think with Eli Brooks, we've seen that it has it has not meant that he's been better. I'd say he's been about the same guy. The problem is if he's your number two guy, you need him to be better than this, mm-hmm. you know? So not bad, just not the elevated player that I, and I, in fairness to them, I don't think coming into the season, they thought he was going to have to be that. I think they thought that Houston and Jones were going to be able to be number two and number three and Brooks could basically be what he was last season. Yeah. It hasn't worked out that way. They needed him to be the number two guy. And he's, if he's your second best offensive player, I don't know how good you are. Because he's he's capable of doing some things, but he's also limited mm-hmm. in some other ways. And, and, you know, and that occasionally I will see Michigan people uh, calling for Brooks to be moved on the ball with the thinking that, well, Jones is just not any kind of real point guard. Collins is a freshman. They, they need to get another answer, right? The problem with that is if you move Eli Brooks, first of all, I don't think he's, he's definitely not naturally a point guard. But if you do that, you might get marginally better play at that spot, but then you've lost him as a spot-up shooter, which is the one thing he does better than anything else on offense. Mm-hmm. So... I don't think you improve your whole. They're kind of stuck there. Uh, and then you got Caleb Houston, 6'8 freshman, uh, top 10 recruit, um, averaging 9.5 points a game, 36 from the floor, 31 and 80, and grabbing four and a half rebounds. Um, yeah. But this is a guy who's supposed to be a lottery-type guy. Uh-huh. 
supposed to step right in and give them essentially what Franz Wagner did. Except I think I think they thought they didn't think he was going to be quite as good defensively as Wagner had been, mm-hmm. but they thought he was going to be better offensively, a more consistent deep shooter. And instead, he's been worse offensively, maybe considerably so, and light years worse defensively. He's a terrible individual defender right now. Mm. Bad, just plain bad. Um, I think this is an example of what I was talking about earlier, that you can't just look at a ranking and automatically extrapolate that to, well, he's the number eight player in America, therefore he's as good as the number eight player was last year or the year before that. Necessarily so. Uh I, (laughs) I saw this kid play maybe three times last year. I happened to watch games. You know, they played Sunrise Christian, I know for sure, once, maybe twice, uh, that I, I watched those games because I, I was looking at Jade Nakins. Uh, and I just, I never got it mm. with him. I just, I never understood the hype. I mean, I'd see him hit an occasional three, but I just didn't understand why is this guy seen as the second coming? Because even in terms of shooting, I never saw him just go off. And, and just, you know, go six for seven or something like that. Uh, it just never happened. So the way he's played this year kind of correlated to what I thought I was seeing on the few viewings I had last year. Yeah, he's the kind of guy who can occasionally hit a three, but he's not, he's not a consistently great shooter. He doesn't really seem to do anything else particularly well. He's not a he's not a world class athlete. Where's why the hype? Well, it's, you know, you compare him to Max Christie, and I don't see a single thing that Caleb Houston does better than Max Christie. Not one thing. He has not shot the ball better. I mean, that's you know, Max Christie. By the way for those who are wondering, is up to 35% from three now. Yeah. Just so you know. Um, and I think headed north from there. That would be my assumption. I don't think he's going to decline. Um, they're, they're massively different on the defensive end. Massively. Max Christie is a plus defender as a freshman. Caleb Houston is a minus. Mm-hmm. Uh, Max Christie looks to me to be a much better ball hand. I think he's a better passer. Um, rebounding, I don't see any difference. I think I think Max Christie might be a better athlete. Um, Houston might be a little bit bigger, maybe physically, you know, yeah. in terms of his frame. But I, I just don't I don't see what he does that's better. Max Christie to me has an advantage in every single area. Mm. Um, so I don't I don't get it. I don't know, and, you know, I, I do find it, if we talked about this in regard to Bryce McGowan's, and I, and I remember in our conversation, I said, you know, boy, if you're Bryce McGowan's parents, do you feel good about what's happened? Because you came in with your kid maybe being seen as a, as a one-and-done, and he's had the season he's had. Has he really done himself any favors? <laughs> um, well... What what's the story here, right? This guy was supposed to be all world. He has not been all world. There's time for him to turn it around, but I haven't yet seen the indication that that's coming. 
Um, does that go on Juwan Howard? <laughs> I know Michigan fans would be if 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 Caleb Houston were playing in East Lansing, having the season that he's had. I know what dipshit Michigan fans would be saying. The same garbage they've lobbed out there for years. Oh, is screwed up another guy when that plainly doesn't happen? But Juwan Howard fuck up Caleb Houston's life? Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. If maybe people fall in love with that extra two inches on a wing. I don't. I don't... Yeah. May, may, well, is it even that though? I mean, I I've got pretty credible reports that Max Christie is actually closer to six seven than six six. Mm. But maybe, maybe. I don't see how it's playing any differently. Yeah. yeah. You know? I mean people do I've seen Michigan fans talk about wanting to play him more at the four, which I guess would be a difference. You you would never play Max Christie at the four. But uh yeah, maybe, maybe. Hmm. Uh, and then Musa Diabate, 6'10 freshman, another five-star recruit, um, 8.7 points a game, 6.1 rebounds, uh, 59 from the floor, 33 from three, 56 from the line. You know, he's he's a guy who, and I don't know what's going to happen, but I could see him getting drafted next year, even though his production and his play on the court has been to put it mildly inconsistent. Mm. Uh, Diabate is a prime example of a guy who one moment can look like he's got an all NBA future. And the next minute you wonder how he's ever on the court for a D one team. And that comes with being a freshman and not a particularly polished one or experienced one. Uh-huh. It happens. You know, he's kind of, I, I made this comment about him the other day. I think he's a, He's a dime store version or a broke man's version of Jaron Jackson. You know, where you, you, you look at the, the physical tools. He's long. I think he's got like a, well, I know he's got a seven foot plus wingspan. I'm not sure how much the plus is, but it's considerable. And he's six ten, and he's athletic and he, he shows some semblance of a skill set. You know, he can occasionally hit a three. Mm. And so you look at all that and you say, okay, I see why. I see why people think so highly of him and think he's got an NBA future, but you know, none of that stuff is together at this stage. He's not, he's not a remotely polished basketball player. You know, Mm -hmm. he makes a lot of mistakes and I mean, basic kind of mistakes, you know, and, and at the same time, the reason I say he's a broke man's Jaron Jackson is Jaron Jackson made mistakes but Jaron Jaron Jackson's physical tools, particularly defensively, more than any player I've seen ever at Michigan State, allowed him to erase his own mistakes. Yeah, like he would he would have poor positioning defensively. He wouldn't be balanced, and a guy would blow by him. And yet his length and his sense of timing was so good that he could still block a guy's shot even as the guy goes by him. That how many times I mean, that happened countless times. Yeah, Diabate doesn't do that yet. He doesn't have the and and it's not due to lack of physical tools. I think it's due to lack of IQ, basketball IQ. It's probably down to lack of anticipation, lack of quick reaction time, those types of things. Mm-hmm. Maybe that comes with experience with him, but you know he's uh, look. It's possible that he could go 
for 15 and 10 against Michigan State. He has the ability, the potential to do that, but he has yet to show anything remotely uh, in terms of consistency to suggest that he will. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I mean, not even averaging one block per game for a 6'10 right. guy. 6'10 guy with a 7-foot-plus wingspan, right. Like, you would think just by virtue of just being on the floor, he would do more than that. Yeah. <laughs> and then there are times that, again, so he, he doesn't have that mistake eraser ability, but trust me, he's still making the mistakes. I mean, you see him with just blown defensive assignments all the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's he's been – Houston's bad, but don't get it wrong. Diabate's been pretty bad too. Mm. Uh, and then Hunter Dickinson at the five, seven one two sixty sophomore. Um, he's averaging 16.1 points a game, 8.8 rebounds, which uh, leads them in both categories there. 59 from the floor, 29 from three, and 69 from the line. Uh, so clearly they're number one guy on offense. Yeah, he is. And, you know, there's – there's a couple ways to look at it. One is to say his numbers aren't very different from last year. You know, the scoring and the rebounding are slightly up overall in terms of production. His percentages, free throw shootings down about four or 5%. So that's not a little bit, but it's not horrible um, for a big kid. Uh, he's, You know, I think I think in in most ways you look at it, and you can you can make a credible argument for him having a decent year. The problem is, it's not enough, not nearly enough. And I and I say it's not nearly enough because he had to be better than he was last year, and he hasn't been. In fact, you can argue that he's at least marginally worse. I don't think he's as good defensively as he was a year ago. And I think, I think they needed him to be a leader. And sometimes it's easy to just throw that word out there and Mm. don't always really, aren't really fully dialed into what that actually means. But I've seen him enough this year where, and again, I caution making too much out of this because I think people, everybody, everybody fancies themselves an expert psychologist, right? But I have noticed at times he's looked to me to be frustrated. He's looked to me to have maybe bad body language, you know, in ways that I don't remember last year. Cause let's just be honest. Everything came really, really easily for Hunter Dickinson last year. Yeah, He was playing, he was playing with a veteran team that just fit, perfectly and made his life really, really easy. He had great shots because you you couldn't really, if you doubled him, you were making a choice to give up open looks to a team that surrounded him with great shooting. I mean, the, the one guy they had really struggled some was Wagner and Wagner was still okay. Uh Uh-huh. You know, but you look at Brown, you look at Smith, you look at um, Livers, certainly. You know, they just had guys around him who could all stick shots. And it makes it easier. It's a huge difference between that and what he's going through this season, mm-hmm. where 
teams aren't as afraid to bring an extra body. Because they figure, ah, oh, Houston shooting 31%. Diabate isn't a consistent threat, you know. Um, when they go into their bench, they don't have consistent shooters. Jones is kind of reluctant to shoot. Um, you know, you, you put all that together, life's, life's not been easy for Hunter Dickinson this year. I think he's, I would hope, he's learned some valuable lessons that the way it was during most of his freshman season, that's just not how it is. Mm. And and they, Michigan needed, they needed to make it more like that, but they also needed Hunter Dickinson to be breaking through to the next level. You know, if you look at somebody, while we've been recording this, I had the Illinois maryland game on maryland actually led that game at the half in champaign and then illinois came on in the second half to win it and a large part of that win tonight was kofi coburn just physically dominating maryland mm-hmm. i mean just tossing them around like rag dolls around the rim i think that's what michigan figured they might get a little more of than they have from hunter dickinson this year he hasn't taken that next step from really good player to hey, he's the baddest man on the court nine times out of ten. Mm-hmm. That hasn't happened. He's their best player, but it's not good enough. Yeah. Uh, so then off the bench, we mentioned uh, they don't use their bench a whole lot, but um, Brandon Johns, 6'7", senior from East Lansing, um, who had previous to this pretty two two pretty good years under um, Howard, um, but this year he's averaging 5.2 points a game, 2.3 rebounds. Um, 42 from the floor, 29 from three and 72 from the line. Yeah. He's gone backward and I, I don't quite understand it, you know, and by the way, we're going through all these guys because we can't make an assessment at this point as to who will play and who won't. It's, it, it shouldn't need to be said, but I'll say it anyway. It's entirely possible that not all these guys suit up. Hmm. You know, but we're going to we're going to approach it as if they're all playing because we don't know any differently at this stage. But but getting back to John's when he was in high school at East Lansing, the knock on him was he doesn't want to be physical. Yeah. When they despite the fact that he's all I mean, I'm going back to when he was a freshman in high school. Brandon Johns was jacked, but he just never seemed to be a guy that wanted to play with physicality wanted to do dirty work. That was just never part of the equation. And so it made some sense. You know, he picked Michigan over Michigan State. It kind of made some sense. His first year under John Beeline was just terrible to the point that I had heard and I wondered, might he transfer out? And then Juwan Howard came on board. And I thought Juwan Howard was really good for him. Whatever Juwan Howard did, whether we, and it could have been all Brandon Johns and it just happened to come under on Juwan Howard's watch. But regardless, Brandon Johns the last two years, particularly last season, became much more of a dirty work guy. Mm-hmm. He played with a high motor, generally speaking. He actually gave them a little bit of offensive rebounding um, at times. He improved as a shooter. I mean, I, I just felt like he had really matured and was never going to be a superstar, but was a, was a guy who proved that he belonged and could help and seriously contribute to a winning team. I thought he'd be the starter at the four, and he actually was early in the season. Well, that's changed because he just 
wasn't playing well enough. Mm. And that motor and the toughness that he had displayed over the last two years seems to have disappeared again. I'm not really quite sure why, but it's happened. Hmm. Uh, and so then you got Terrence Williams, six, six sophomore, um, 5.7 points a game, 3.2 rebounds, 42, 36 and 72. Yeah, you know, when, when they recruited him, they thought he was going to be kind of a jack-of-all-trades guy. Like, well, he can do a lot of different things, maybe nothing spectacularly, but he can do enough things, and he's tough enough that he can be a winning player. Mm. And I guess he's kind of done that. You know, you look at those numbers, the shooting numbers aren't terrible. They're better than they were a year ago. Um, you know, he plays hard at times, has a, a decent motor, but... I just think defensively he's been really lacking and the the other stuff just doesn't happen. Doesn't seem to happen consistently enough to where you feel like you're better off for his being on the floor. Mm. You know, that's really kind of where the equation begins and ends for me. So he, I would still say he's got a shot at some point in his career to be a guy who you look at as a, an effective guy in a rotation, but I don't think they feel that he's made enough of a step forward. Mm. Uh, and then Frankie Collins, six one freshman point guard, um, averaging three point three points a game, twenty assists to eleven turnovers. Um, but his uh, shooting has been a struggle: forty one, thirty three, and thirty seven on the season. Yeah, that's in really low volume. Uh, he's not a shooter. I mean, th- those numbers actually flatter him a little bit. I don't think he's even as good as those numbers suggest. If if I were playing defense against him, you know, we talked last night about how defenses are seemingly inviting Tyson Walker to take shots, to despite the fact that he's shooting fifty six percent from three. Yeah, I absolutely would let Frankie Collins take any jumper he wants. At this stage, he has not proven remotely enough to me to suggest that he should be respected as a shooter. He's got some tools, you know, he's got good quickness and he seems to have some instincts, but it's just the the total package is not there yet, uh, which is not a surprise. I don't think they expected it would be. They recruited Devontae Jones for a reason Mm -hmm. because they knew, hey, we can't hand the keys to Frankie Collins. Same thing with Michigan State. You know, Michigan State, I think, knew they didn't want it to be just Jaden Akins and A.J. Hogart at the point. You know, they knew that was likely to be a problem. So you add another guy, you give yourself that room for Hogart to not have to be the man, for Akins to be able to play with less on his plate, and it's worked out extremely well. I think that was the plan of Michigan. The problem is what they didn't judge sufficiently well was if if Jones actually was a point guard. I think he's proven that he's not. Mm -hmm. And so you will see Michigan fans occasionally calling for playing Collins more. I'm not a believer in that. You know, there's two schools of thought with this stuff. One is that you should let young players, quote-unquote, play through mistakes because they'll only learn by doing wrong, and, and it's through playing that they improve. I don't buy into that. I am much more of the Izzo school, which says that actually the way guys learn is by if they make repeated mistakes by being corrected via playing time. Mm-hmm. That, that, I think, has proven 
to be the much more effective teaching tool than, hey, just let a guy just play through it. And if he makes mistakes, that's okay, because he'll only learn through repetition, you know, through getting more chances. I don't think that's true. So I actually think Juwan Howard's doing the right thing here. He's not just handing the keys to Frankie Collins and saying, look, go play 30 minutes a game because we're not going anywhere anyway. And the only way you're going to get better is to play minutes. So I don't think that's true. I think you learn first and foremost by having mistakes corrected. And one of the most effective ways you correct mistakes is by attaching consequences to them. Mm. You know, Um, the important part is you keep giving opportunities, but, but when the mistakes get made, you have to correct them. So Michigan has not just turned it over to Frankie Collins. I don't think that would play well for this team. I don't think he's ready even remotely to be that. Um, I do like his potential for the future because he has, I said, he has good quickness and I do think he's got, he's a more natural point guard than somebody like Jones is. You can see it in him Mm -hmm. that he has a better understanding and instinct already just inherently as to running a team and making plays for others than somebody like Devontae Jones has. He just doesn't have all the components of, of play together yet to enable him to really excel. But he could be an answer down the line for Michigan. I definitely wouldn't rule that out. Uh-huh. Just not right now. Uh, and then Kobe Bufkin, the athletic 6'4 freshman from Grand Rapids. Um, 4.5 points a game on 43, 29, and 79 from the line. Yeah, I really like Kobe Bufkin. And I haven't been shy about saying that. You know, I still think it's somewhat of an open question. You know, there were... There were three perimeter guys in that 2021 class in Michigan who were all kind of situated in the same way until for some bizarre reason that I've I've yet to be able to figure out, Kobe Bufkin got elevated late and actually made the McDonald's All-American team. Now, that the game wasn't played, Uh but um, I don't think. Maybe it was, but he didn't play in it regardless. I don't know how it happened because Kobe Buskin was hurt a lot. <laughs> it just it never made any sense to me. I mean, Jaden Akins and Pierre Brooks played. Yeah. Pierre Brooks yeah. was Mr. Basketball. Jaden Akins was on a sensational prep school team. Kobe Buskin barely played. So I don't know how that happened. But anyway, for most of their careers, and in my eyes, honestly, I think they were all pretty much in the same range. They all look to me like guys who most years would qualify as, you know, what we, what we think of as what a top 50 guy is where maybe you don't start immediately, but you're able to play a role early. And Mm -hmm. then eventually you're capable of in the latter portions of your career, maybe maturing into a starter and maybe even like, you know, an all conference level player. That's how I had all of them in my mind. And they all have different strengths and weaknesses. But I, I, I really think, I thought and continue to think, Kobe Bufkin could be a really good player. He's 6'4", good handle. He's not a point guard. Some people at Michigan talked about playing him there this year, which never made sense to me. He's less of a point guard than Jade Nakins is, I can tell you that. Mm. Um, but he's a good secondary ball handling option. I saw him be a very effective shooter at times in AAU, and he's a really good athlete. Again, not quite Aikens, but close. Um, So he's got a lot of tools. He just, it was going to be about 
just playing more and just time helping him develop because he'd had a lot of injury problems and, and then getting physically stronger, I think was a necessity. I think that latter part, both of those things have shown up. Hmm. Um, I'm a little surprised that he hasn't been a little better. Um, I think Aikens pretty clearly has had the best freshman season of all three of those guys. Um, but I don't rule out that Kobe Bufkin could end up being a really, really good player at Michigan. He's just not there yet right now. You know, the shooting's been a struggle. Um, and I think the strength and maybe some of the rough edges in his game um, have yet to be smoothed out. Mm-hmm. But I do think there's a good chance that all that will come and he'll eventually be a really good player for them. Uh, so that's about, you know, it for the players that we would expect to see. Um Anyone else on there that you could think make make an appearance? Well, uh, you know, Zeb Jackson had been playing a little bit, but he missed that last game for non-COVID reasons. Your guess is as good as mine as to what that actually means. Mm-hmm. I don't, you know, it could be nothing or it could be something that's not good. Um, but he's, it, look, he hasn't, this is year two for him. He hasn't come close to breaking through and proving that he's actually worthy of a regular rotation spot so um i don't know how i don't know how realistic it is that you'd expect him to start playing a lot uh the other two members of their freshman class um shitter and uh and barnes i think have been ticketed for red shirts that's my understanding so i don't expect we'll see them and you know and that's kind of it yeah, yeah they, as you mentioned they don't play their bench a ton anyway Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't expect that rotation to expand. Okay. Um, so we get into the keys, Rod. Uh, number one, the rivalry. Chance for a lot of emotions to come into this game. Um, it, it's going to be tough at, at Chrysler Arena no matter what, even though they're not having a great year. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I do think that there are going to be a lot of Michigan State people there, um, as there often are. Um, but I think this year especially because, you know, the Michigan fan base is, you know, a, a basketball at least is, is a front-running fan base. And there's not much for them to be excited about. So I, I think if Michigan State people want to see that game, I think they're going to have opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, but all that said, it's in addition to where it's being played. I, I think the thing you always worry about in this game is the emotion. We, you know, everybody wants to win very badly. And so what you can't have is you can't have guys that are too jacked. Yeah. And, and the guys that I would think about in that regard, first and foremost would be veterans would be guys like Gabe Brown and Marcus Bainham. Uh-huh. You know, those are guys who are prone to playing with emotion, which can be good. What you can't let it do is take you outside of your game. So those two guys need to be poised enough and under control enough to just let it come to them. Don't try to force anything. Don't try to do the spectacular. Just play the game that you've been playing all year long and let that be enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the second key, turnovers. Uh, <laughs> you guys say more? I mean... Yeah, no, I, I saw that Izzo mentioned this evening that uh, they had a staff meeting and then had conversations with individual players about it. 
So they're acknowledging that this is, you know, there's a certain level of mistakes that you can accept at Michigan State because of the way that MSU plays. But we're at a juncture of the season. You no longer have the, any, really any valid excuses. Mm. Um, you know, I was earlier in the season, I, and I have come around to believing that there's truth to this, that sometimes it can be a function of large playing groups, which means guys aren't necessarily playing as much with the same players as they are with teams who tend to have tighter rotations that that can impact it. And I do think there's something to that, but the reality is we're in January now. These guys have played together enough and they've had enough games where they've been able to hold it down. So, you know, they're capable of it. Um, It's not that they're, they look to run because frankly, most of the mistakes don't come in transition. Mm -mm. They come in the half court and they come in kind of benign situations. That's why, you know, although we mentioned Michigan really doesn't force turnovers. I mean, they're one of the worst in the country in that. Uh, it almost doesn't matter because Michigan State's turnovers tend to be just out of out of nowhere. Yeah, yeah. Like traveling. There was a bunch of travelings against Nebraska, it seemed like. There, there were, and there were just terrible entry passes, just, you know, balls inexplicably going through people's hands, you know, not tough catches. It was just very strange. And so, uh, obviously, it's good that they're, you know, maybe redoubling their efforts when it comes to uh, trying to solve this problem. But one really good way to give Michigan a chance to win this thing is to have a big disadvantage in the turnover category. Mm-hmm. Michigan's had their own struggles, but they're not to the level of MSU's. MSU needs to do what they can to keep that in check. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't you can't go into this game and have another 19 turnover effort or, you know, 11 or 10 in the first half the way they did against Northwestern. You just can't do that. Yeah. Uh, and then third key is transition. Well, look, I mean, we, we know that it's always a goal, right, for Michigan State to get in transition as much as possible. I do think, and I've, I've made this point before, I think when you haven't faced MSU before, it's hard for coaches to simulate what Michigan State does, and it's hard for a player who hasn't dealt with it before to really know what that feels like, to have that pressure breathing down you for 40 minutes. Mm. Michigan's got three new starters in this game. So they got two freshmen and the transfer in Jones. Those guys have never faced a Michigan State transition game. Um. I think it's it's possible that MSU could get some things done in that category just because and and the reserves there there'd be a lot of unfamiliarity as well. Yeah. So I think it's important for Michigan State to really really push. I think in particular the five men have to run the way they've run most of the season because that's one sure way that you can take Dickinson out of the game. Mm-hmm. You just run them, make him play a 94 foot game. Cause you know, there's not a lot of depth behind Dickinson. I mean, no, there really isn't. You know, they, when, when they've got everybody healthy, they'll play Johns as an undersized five man. Diabate can play the five, but uh, there isn't a lot of depth. And, and I think you want, besides just taking him out of the game, just wearing him down, just 
making depleting his reserves. Mm -hmm. So even if he's on the court, maybe he's just not as fresh. He's just not as he's more fatigued than he normally would be. All those things will matter over the course of 40 minutes. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then the fourth key is hit shots. Uh, They've been good from three and Michigan uh, has been awful lately defending it. Yeah. You know, um, when you've got teams like UCF and Rutgers scorching you, it's got to be absolutely terrifying to be dealing with Michigan State, mm-hmm. um, who have, in a sustained way, proven that they can hit shots. And the two guys who were really struggling, Christie and and um, Hauser, uh, have shown signs of turning it around. I mean, particularly Max. Mm-hmm. You know, as I mentioned, all the way up to thirty-five percent right now. Uh, he's been red hot. Uh, I think you can get good looks against this defense. They're just, uh, they, they've just they shown no propensity to take stuff away. Now, maybe they do in this game. Maybe Howard gets them coached up and they execute a game plan, but uh, I've seen nothing suggesting it. So if you assume that Michigan State's going to be able to generate good looks, then the next thing is, can they hit enough of them? Well, that's always the open question, but um, you know, it, it means it's important. It's important that Michigan State go out there and that enough guys are dialed in to uh, to hit enough shots mm-hmm. to put Michigan under a lot of pressure. Uh, and then five is defense, which has been slipping a little bit lately from yeah. where it was earlier in the year. Yeah, I just feel like they haven't been, it hasn't been a disaster. It just hasn't been as sharp. Um, some of that is, you know, they didn't have Markey against high point. They did have him against Northwestern and then they had him, but he didn't play very well against Nebraska. Mm -hmm. They need him back dialed in at his, at his best level. And if they get that, I think that'll go a long way toward improving the, the total picture here. But, you know, the bottom line is you got a Michigan team that's kind of shaky offensively. You want to keep them that way. So Michigan State needs, and, and I do think it, this is the thing that can that can allow Michigan State to hang at the top of the conference standings all year long, in my view, is if you are dialed in enough defensively to game in, game out, be able to guard people at a high level. Mm. You do that you can live with some offensive inconsistency. And I think Michigan State's getting better and better offensively. I think that's true. They are a much better offensive team now than they were in November. There's yeah. no question. But if you combine that with the same level of defense they were playing in November and early December, well, then you st- then you start talking about a team that can have real aspirations, you know. Mm. But it starts with defense because consistently high-level defense gives you a floor, that's pretty damn high. Yeah. You know, you check people, you can be in pretty much every game you play in this league. Okay. Well, um, you know, any final thoughts heading into this one, Rob? Um, obviously, I mean, do you need to say before this one that it's a big game? Um, <laughs> it, it's, it's always a big game, right? It, it feels weird this year, I think, one, because there's this uncertainty as to whether it gets played, at least played now. Um, 
And the other thing that's weird is it's been a while since we've seen a Michigan team come into this game in this kind of position. Yeah. I mean, it's been quite a while. You know, you had the one year under Beeline, and I'm drawing a blank as to which season it was, whether it was 14-15, 15-16, one of those years in there uh, where Karis LeVert was there, and he got hurt, and they, they didn't make the tournament. Um, you know, they, but it was kind of injury-related mm. where they had problems. Other than that, you know, at certain points in seasons, Michigan's been kind of eh, but you rarely felt maybe the closest would be uh, a couple of years ago, Howard's first year where they got off to a rough start and then ended up turning it around some yeah. as they went through the season. Um, but I, I, it's just strange in that way that we're, we're used to this feeling in recent years, especially like, Hey, this is a, this is a big time game and it is big time implications for the top of the league standings you know, last year, of course, they met twice very late in the season. And it was, in that case, Michigan trying to preserve a Big Ten title run. Michigan State trying desperately to get to the tournament. So those games had a lot riding on them. Mm-hmm. This one just doesn't feel that way because it feels more to me like some of the um, some of the Amaker era or early beeline games where you just felt like, well, you know, Michigan State is clear-cut the better team. And and although you can see ways Michigan could win, it's just harder to envision it than we typically are talking about. Mm-hmm. You know? I, I don't mean to suggest for a second that Michigan can't win this game. They can. They, Michigan State has to play well. If Michigan State doesn't play well, and Michigan does, Michigan absolutely can win this game. There's no question about that, but uh, right now you, I don't know. How do you feel about it? Are you going to, if Michigan state loses this game, how do you think you're going to feel about it? Oh, pretty upset. Yeah. And I think that's probably, I think that's probably how most MSU people feel right now because you're looking at it objectively, truthfully, and objectively you have to say, Hey, there's a, you know, what would be different, you know, in losing this one versus losing to, I don't know, Maryland or, or, um, you know, Penn state. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of Minnesota can go in there and beat them by 10. Michigan state should be able to beat them. Yeah. And I, I try to be, I hear you. I try to be careful about transitive property stuff. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But because you have to figure at a minimum, you have to figure Michigan is going to be more dialed in for two reasons. One, it's their rival. Two, um, there's a desperation that's starting to set in now. Yeah. That maybe wasn't there in that Minnesota game. Um, so you expect a better effort. But, yeah, you just objectively, if you take the, the rivalry aspect out of it, you'd say, well, losing to a team that's playing the way Michigan is, has the record they've got, yeah, you'd feel like you blew a chance to get a, a road win, mm-hmm. you know. But the fact is, it is a rivalry game, and you can't expect Michigan to dial it up. You would think, I put it this way, if they can't, then it's all lost for them anyway this year. I mean, if they can't get up and play their best basketball in this game, they're done. So, I, I you know, I'm going to be nervous like everybody else 
that's part of what maybe makes it a little more nerve wracking is you kind of have these expectations we're talking about mm-hmm. um, that the pressure is all on you if you're Michigan State because everybody expects you to win. Even though I, I don't even know that they're going to be the favorite, uh, according to Vegas. I believe they came out as a slight underdog um, in this one. And so, you know, take that to mean whatever you like. But, um, yeah, I, I, I'm with you on that. I think it would be disappointing to lose it. Uh, I'm going to be there at Chrysler. That's that's my plan. Um, so we might be a little late with the post game. Um, but, uh, yeah, I have to decide how, just what level of obnoxiousness will, will <laughs> at Chrysler. I usually, usually keep it. This is not my first go around at Chrysler, man. <laughs> I usually keep it together, but, um, yeah, <laughs> we'll see. All right. Well, this one's uh two 30, uh, on Fox on Saturday until then the final four is not on the schedule. <laughs> At Granger, we're for the ones who pay attention to every little detail. The ones who fuss, tinker, and sweat the small stuff. Because you know the tiniest thing can make the biggest difference when it comes to keeping business moving. We get it. We're the same way. Offering access to product experts to help you quickly and easily find what you need. So whatever your industry, you know you're always getting professional-grade products. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.